Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Cassie Young. Cassie is an operating partner at Primary Ventures and works closely with founders and portfolio companies to help them build, scale, and optimize their sales, marketing, and customer operations. Prior to Primary, Cassie joined CM Group as the Chief Customer Officer when they acquired SailThrough. Pre-acquisition, she served as SailThrough's Chief Commercial Officer. Cassie has years of experience in marketing and in analytics. She holds an MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth and is also on the advisory board for Venture for America. It's really nice to have you on our show today, Cassie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So you've had a few years of experience in marketing tech. Can you tell us more about that experience and your role at SailThrough? Sure, absolutely. And and in doing that, it might be helpful to tell you a little bit more about my journey into marketing tech and how I landed there in the first place. So um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I joined the venture capital world in January, had previously spent close to the, the seven years leading up to that at SailThrough and then at the parent company after the acquisition. But the way I landed at SailThrough, which is in that enterprise marketing technology world, is actually through my experience as a marketing practitioner. So out of undergraduate, I, I took the path that many people take. I went to go work at an investment bank because the career center told me to go do it. Um, and I was covering media and technology companies. And in doing that, I had some exposure to some of the very early uh, ad tech companies that were out in the space. Many of them were very dissimilar from the ad networks that you see today. They were much more affiliate type business models, et cetera. And I decided that I really wanted to make a career pivot and go work for a tech startup. And so when I did that, and this was, you know, to give you a sense of timing, 2006, so the New York City tech landscape was not nearly as robust as it was today. Um, I went to go work for a startup company and the job search space called the ladders.com that's still around today. And it focuses on job recruitment for positions that pay $100,000 or more. And I, I went to go work there in marketing, quite honestly, not knowing a ton about what digital marketing was all about. I think I conflated what marketing and advertising was coming up through the, the finance path. Um, and what I what I quickly learned um, was really the, the early foundations of what people call growth marketing or performance marketing today. But at the time, people were still calling direct response, right? And it was the concept of really quantitative data-driven marketing. Um, and so the ladders opened my eyes to that. And it was sort of a situation of being in the right place at the right time where the company experienced a period of very, very rapid and explosive growth over the three plus years that I was there. So I had the opportunity to take on a lot more responsibility, um, understand growth from both that paid acquisition perspective, but also from the CRM and, and customer retention vantage point. So I did that uh, leading into my time at business school. And, you know, I had uh, some advice uh, coming into business school, which was stay active in the tech world, right, if you're going to come back to it. And so, you know, I, I ended up launching a, a consulting business where I was helping other startup companies to organize their marketing data as they were getting ready for subsequent fundraisers, right? And so on the, on the uh, you know, exiting business school, I wound up incidentally going right back into marketing roles at a couple of other tech companies. And in 2013, um, I, I, I got some advice that I should really look um, very closely at SaaS companies, right? So my experience was largely on the consumer side and on the subscription business side of things. And, you know, enterprise SaaS was starting to make its way to New York City. And 
quite honestly, having not had experience in software, I had to get a little bit creative around what my wedge strategy was going to be. And I said, well, what do I know a ton about? I know a lot about marketing because I've been a vice president of marketing. I've held the budgets and I've been the customer. So how can I parlay those skills to ultimately get my first job in the SaaS world? And so the, the way I ended up at SailThrough is that I was actually a customer of SailThrough's. And I got to know the founder and CEO very well over a number of years. And, you know, he had, had tried to convince me to come over probably a year or so prior to me actually joining. And I said, I don't know that I want to go sell software. It made me very uneasy, right? And he gave me this grand pitch of, we need someone to come in here who can speak the language of our customers, right? And help us build up a customer strategy arm that can serve them better. And so when I went to go work there in 2013, um, I took a role running, um, I'll call it global client services for the company, even though we weren't really global at the time. We were mostly uh, in the United States and we, we later expanded uh, into Europe and, and into um, Australia and New Zealand markets. But um, my job there was a little bit amorphous when I came in. You know, the, the marching orders were to, you know, figure out programs that we could stand up that would help reiterate value back to our customers. And what I'll tell you is in MarTech, that's really, really important because it's a very crowded space and the very crowded nature of it leads to very high gross churn. So anything you can do to be a true strategic partner to the customers and really sell on value is, is a big difference maker. And so my journey there was interesting. I joined just uh, after the Series B. Um, our customer success team was your classical, the account managers do a little bit of everything. I call them like the renaissance player in the business. And and so over the years that followed, you know, we, we kind of played the traditional SaaS playbook of setting up specialization in the business, carving out customer strategy from support, from implementation, so on and so forth. Um, and as, you know, we progressed, we went through every journey that a typical startup, you know, would go through, uh, namely the march up market, I would call it, right? So early on, you know, any customer that wants to pay you for your service, you take the check and you kind of figure it out later. And we did a lot of refinement work around what our ideal customer profile was and how we could ultimately move into the enterprise. And so as we did that, um, you know, I had the opportunity to take on, you know, more and more responsibility in the business. And ultimately we decided that a lot of the work that we were doing on the customer success side of the house would actually translate really well into new business development and sales. And so a few years into my journey at sale through, um, I actually wound up taking, we called it a chief commercial officer to make it sound a little less salesy, to be honest, but a effectively our chief revenue officer role running both um, sales and, and customer success functions for the business. And what I would tell you is I think it's a little unusual for CS to take the CRO role. More often than not, you have the CRO taking CS, but I think we were ripe to do that because we were in marketing tech and it all again came back to this, how do we showcase customer value, right? And so, you know, to give you just a quick example, we sailed through, sold into two different types of customers. We sold into e-commerce, retail, and then media and publishing, right? And if you look at the e-commerce world, you could look at two customers, and I'll, I'll throw out you know two examples, like a Rent the Runway and a Fandango. And those are two fundamentally different businesses in terms of how you would attack their business strategy. But we thought about how do we stand up codified programs that give us a little bit of strategic leverage. So we kind of came up with this, okay, well, there's five value drivers for every e-commerce business that are going to be the same, right? It's acquire cost effectively, activate new customers, drive repeats, 
boost spend and reduce churn. And then we could come up with a playbook that we could actually apply across every single one of the 200 plus e-commerce customers. Um, and so, you know, I, I the, 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 the reason I love MarTech in general is because it is really measurable. Um, you know, but as I, as I said before, I think a, a lot of people um, in terms of uh, software companies do a lot of times um, selling on what I would call feature selling, right, in terms of the use cases of what you want to go do. And we took a very, very sharp um, and concentrated effort on, you know, showcasing true ROI. Um, and so that was kind of a little bit of, of the story there, but I, I got very long-winded very quickly. So I'll, I'll, I'll pause to see, you know, if you have any further questions on that, happy to talk about life post-acquisition as well, of course. <laughs> This is excellent, Cassie, and that's clearly some in-depth, uh, deep-rooted work with uh, with a great flavor of having a different stance on mar marketing technology and how you're approaching sales through that, moving from a CS role to a CRO role. I think um, it's it's definitely an interesting one. Uh, curious to hear your your journey post that then, because we know now that you've transitioned into venture capital as an operating partner this year and. Curious to understand your process like there. I mean, guessing that you've done so much deeply involved work over you know, for marketing and sales, especially for enterprise and SaaS companies. I'm sure that uh, a bunch of uh, primary portfolio will definitely benefit out of it. Curious to hear how the introduction started and how did you go about the process to jump on board primary? Sure, absolutely. So it's a great question. And what I'll tell you, and this may come as a little bit of a surprise in this interview, is that I actually did not run a formal process to go into a venture capital role. I did not have, there wasn't part of my plan to end up in venture capital. I'm thrilled that, thrilled that I've landed here, but I'll tell you a little bit about how this came to be. So um, incidentally, so Primary, the Fundamat, we're an early stage venture firm focused exclusively on New York City companies. We're industry generalists, but um, the, one of at least one of the co-founders must be in New York City. Um, our firm is only five years old, but our two co-founders and GPs uh, have been around the investing world for some time. And incidentally, one of them, Brad Sreluga, had invested in a company that I was working on when I was working on my MBA at Tuck. So he was an early investor out of that, out of his last investment vehicle, High Peaks, uh, was a board member. And he and I uh, hit it off and stayed in very close touch long after I stopped working on that particular business. Um, and so Brad and I kind of kept up in the background. He knew what I was working on at Sail Through. And in 2017, he came, you know, I think we were just having a catch up dinner. And he said to me, he said, listen, you know, when we um, started Primary, we had conviction that if we brought operators into our business, it would have an outsized impact on the early stage companies that we work with. And he said, you know, we've done that and we've brought in some people with experience and talent and people and finance, but we really need someone who understands the go to market side of things. And at that point, I said, you know, I'm flattered, but it's fundamentally not the right time, right? Because sail through what I failed to share when we talked about my excitement over MarTech and my journey there is that we went through every um, upward swing, downward turn, sideways, you know, swing that you could imagine in a business ranging from, you know, our business sort of outgrowing the founders and having an outside CEO coming in. We had technical scaling challenges. We ultimately decided to push the business toward profitability and then did that really well leading up to the sale. So I had seen a lot. And when Brad approached me in 2017, I knew we were at the point where the business was on the brink of profitability and that we were probably going to sell it. And I wanted to, to stay and see that through. 
So uh, I did that. Um, and then, you know, uh, lo and behold, in 2018, we sold the business to Campaign Monitor as part of a private equity roll up um, with, with Insight. And sure enough, Brad and, and his partner, Ben, came a knocking and I said, you know, it's still not the right time because I really want to see now that Insight has bought the business, what being part of a private equity roll up looks like. Right. And that's a whole other interesting story in terms of, you know, how uh, private equity thinks about a, um, a, a basically a roll up of brands and how um, there's certain margin arbitrage and things like that that happens across the portfolio of, of companies. But so long story short, I said, OK, I, it's still not the right time for me to make a move. Uh, so I went and, and worked with the Insight team. And what I'll share with you guys is that on the side all along for the last 15 years, I found a lot of different outlets outside of work to work more closely with startups because I have nostalgia for like the very early days of startup companies. And so I do a lot of work with um, Venture for America and the ERA, ERA Accelerator in New York. So I always had this penchant that I wanted to get back working more closely with startup companies. But to be candid with you, I probably am past the risk profile of going to a five or 10 person company again. And so um, as I was working with the Insight team, I, I then finally kind of lift my head up and said, OK, what do I want to do next? Right. And, you know, the obvious choice would have been to go to another Series B company as a COO or CRO and do it all over again. But I said, you know, um, let me really think long and fast about is that going to bring me the greatest personal utility and joy? Right. And when I really took a step back and thought about kind of the happiest and proudest moments of my work over the last five to 10 years, it's actually with working with other CEOs and executive teams from a mentorship capacity. And so it made me think about the primary opportunity and call Brad and Ben back, right, and talk a little bit more about the role. And, you know, I, I really lucked out in that um, they had not found someone to, to take the role that we had discussed, right? So it was a little bit of timing working on my side to come back in. Um, but what ultimately kind of brought us across the finish line, of course, there was a whole process of getting to know the primary team a lot better in the journey, getting to know some of of the primary portfolio companies along the way. But ultimately, what sealed the deal for me was just that. I was working with founders and startups all day long. Um, and the fact that primary has this operating partner model that wasn't going to require me to shift 100% into an investing role, right? So a heavy part of my role today is on the operating side. But what I would just share with people you know, on that journey is that, you know, a lot of times when I talk with my direct reports or other people around career development or professional development, right, they think about, well, what's next? Like, what's my immediate next step? And I always tell them that I think about professional development the same way I think about building a company, right? When, when employees would come to me at SailThrough and say, what is our exit strategy, right? I would say, well, our exit strategy is to our, our strategy is to build a valuable company for the sake of having a valuable company, regardless of whether we're going to take it public or sell it. We just want to have a valuable company. And so for me, that's how I think about building my personal brand, right, is to just build a very valuable personal personal brand so that regardless of whether it's finding another executive role or going into venture capital, it all plays out just the same. And I, and I share that with you because I think that greased the wheels on the process with primary where I had already done a lot of mentorship work and advisory work with other startups in New York. So, you know, the reputation was there and it de-risked the situation for them. Um, and then of course the fact that, you know, um, bringing on operators was a key part of their model, um, you know, helped my case as well, but it was very much not a straight line road. I, it, you know, when all was said and done, it was over two years since the first conversation, but uh, I'm thrilled that everything finally came together. It is 
really uh, an incredible incredible story about timing you knowing exactly what you wanted at different points in time um so that's that's really great um as an operating partner now you work very closely with founders and portfolio companies how do you approach that interaction how much does a vc like primary get involved with operations and decisions Sure. So I kind of alluded to this before, but I'll spend another minute on it. We think that we're a little bit different from the typical pack of early stage investors in two ways. One is we only invest in New York, so we have some network effects on the talent side that come from that. But the second is what we call our portfolio impact team, which is what I was hired into, right? And um, many venture capital firms have a platform team is kind of the hot term that's thrown around these days that's focused on, you know, programming events, enablement and learning for the founders. But we've actually taken a little bit more of a private equity-esque model um, to how we've set up this operating partner program. So we have uh, former executives who are in the weeds, in the trenches with our CEOs, helping them day to day. And one of our firm values is actually to dive deep, right, with our companies. And so I share that background context for you because um, I think we are very hands-on as an investor. We talk about ourselves being builders as opposed to just backers, right? Um, but we're not prescriptive to our portfolio companies, right? So sometimes when I say we have the private equity model, people you know, have this bad connotation of the invisible hand of private equity telling you what to do. We, we think about it more from a coaching and mentoring perspective of trying to save people the expense of reinventing the wheel over and over again. And so what that means is that I, I'm actually very hands-on with the companies. And the way I tend to think about how I spend my time um, is a function of a couple different things. The first is the stage of the company, right? Because we are a seed investor at our core. And so one of the most important metrics for us as a fund is our seed to series A graduation rate, right? And the whole intention of bringing on former executives was that we would get that rate higher. So, and that, that strategy to date has worked for us. So if we look at our first fund that's now five years old, um, the industry seed to series A graduation rate is in the low 40s. Fund one for us is at 92% on a dollar's basis. So this kind of hands-on advisory work is definitely working. So I share that with you because I think about I should be spending the most amount of my time with our seed companies and helping them progress to the milestones they need for the Series A. Then, you know, I'm still going to spend time from the Series A to the Series B, but it's going to be a little bit less from seed to A. And then once they hit the Series B, I'm still always going to be here, but there's going to be less kind of focus and frequency that there would be when the companies are at the earlier stage. But what I'll share with you guys is that I think I have a bias coming from managing customer success teams where, and everyone at Primary is very sick of me saying this analogy, that portfolio impact is customer success, right? And so VC is actually no different from SaaS. When you think about if you do everything in your power to make your customers, or in this case, your portfolio companies wildly successful, you would have to catastrophically screw something up not to succeed as a firm, right? And so I, I put on a CS hat of thinking about our founders are our executive sponsors. How do we track to make sure we're talking to people every month? So I've actually stood up a lot of kind of CRM and analytics that look much more similar to a customer success function. And then we pull in our portfolio impact resources accordingly. So it just gives you a little bit of a lens into, into how we work and then how we measure ourselves. This is very exciting, Cassie. And having been an operator myself, I can't uh, value this more as a founder of how helpful can investors or board members be, especially at the early stage uh, in terms of helping with the network and uh, a lot of other things you just mentioned. So this is really interesting. 
Um, I'm intrigued by uh, Chief, which is one of the organizations that you are a member of. And from what we understand, it's a private network designed specifically for senior women leaders. Can you talk a little bit about how this network came into existence and your thoughts on career progression for women in venture capital? Absolutely. So I am a proud member of Chief, and I, I also uh, must report that they're a portfolio company of ours as well. So it's great to work with them in the capacity of being a member and then you know, also one of my colleagues as an investor and, and board member there. And what Chief was set out to do is there's a lot of organizations that have existed historically that serve um, the C-suite, right? So Young Presidents Organization, YPO, um, is one that we spent a ton of time looking at when we were you know, getting ready to invest in Chief. But, but they're antiquated in their models, and more than anything, they skew very male, right? And I think what Chief sought out to do from their start was to help women have a forum for developing what they call sort of their personal board of advisors, right? And so what the Chief model looks like is, you know, it's an annual membership model. Uh, many women who are in there have their companies actually fund it for them, but there are plenty who are paying for it out of pocket because of the value they get from it. And you, you effectively get put into what's called a core group group of eight women, right? And that core group meets once a month with a professional facilitator and executive coach to workshop different leadership topics that are both general in terms of career development and team management, um, as well as, you know, personal situations you might have, you have a group to sort of work through those scenarios with. So the core group is a, is a key part of, of Chief. Uh, the Clubhouse, which is a physical space in New York, and now they're expanding into other markets like LA and Chicago, was a huge part and will be on the other side of COVID, right? So it's been fascinating to watch the chief business pivot to be totally virtual and to continue to do exceptionally well in that progress and that process. Um, and then there's a series of other programming and events that they offer on a regular basis. And they run the gamut from Last week, we had an evening fireside chat with Mindy Kaling, uh, talking about, you know, her uh, role as being a, a minority writer and what that meant for her early in her career. And another few weeks, we're having Gloria Steinem, right? So really runs the gamut in terms of how that plays out. But um, it's, a, it's a great, uh, you know, network of women and a fantastic sounding board to have. I just had my core group on Monday and I had a weird situation I wanted to talk through and I got seven awesome pieces of advice, right? So um, it, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, I would tell you it's been helpful. You, you're, the second part of your question, I think, was just a little bit about, you know, women in venture capital. And, you know, the chief group has been great for the network. So we actually have like an online portal of people that you can find in a member direct way to connect with other women who are in venture capital. Um, but what I would tell you is more, most helpful to me in making the transition, you know, coming up on nine months ago, was just seeking people out one-on-one -on -one and building relationships that way with both women and men, I might argue. So I think a lot of times when I join, you know, uh, women's programming around tech, everyone talks about their female mentors. And undoubtedly, I love all the women mentors I've had along the way. But my mentor board actually skews male. Right. And what I like about that is I, I feel like I have found men who I think are really supportive of women in the workforce, but who have still, part of my friends, seen a lot of shit right around how things go sideways. Right. It can give a very helpful sounding board. And so the transition into VC, I try to do the same. But, 
you know, for me, I, I feel like it's always easier to, to kind of inch your way into to bigger formats by cultivating really strong one-to-one relationships and then, you know, leveraging those in other forums. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's very similar to what we've seen as well. This being a small industry, a niche industry, the networking one-on-one really uh, ends up helping. And super to hear about your time with Chief seems like a really interesting organization. Yeah, love to be a part of in some format uh, now or later, I think, uh, for sure. Um, this has been excellent, Cassie. Thanks so much for joining us. Your experiences right from the way you started your career into marketing core to the, then transitioning to venture capital in a new form, like an operating partner, which is a new role overall, but super exciting. Definitely helping uh, the VC space stand out in terms of uh, helping uh, founders by not just providing capital, but things over and above that. Um, hearing all of this has been excellent, uh, Cassie. I'm sure our guests will really appreciate it. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for hosting me. And more importantly, thank you for pulling together this initiative. I think it's fantastic. And I've enjoyed listening to some of the other recordings. Yeah.